0: In rough times I go to
1: I go straight to that properly. We can we can deal with a child. I used to hate meal times.
0: It was a hobby that sort of got out of control. are we, are we in? <clears throat> Hi Lucy. Hi Camille. It's been so long.
1: Oh my god, it's rainy, guys. <laughs> what a surprise. England. We're here in uh, Camille's new house, which is delightful. It's um, very bright and airy and Yeah, she's done well. We've got two
0: plants. She's got two plants. On the table. She's got a teddy bear. Right?
1: Yeah, and it's right there.
0: Oh, that's (laughs) Grandma's knitting. Aww. Yes. that's a cricket bat. Cute. I like its pink hat. It's not pink, it's maroon. It's maroon maroon. beret. It's fuchsia. No, no, it's a maroon beret. Be careful. It's fuchsia. You're annoyed about a lot of quite hard people like
1: that. It's Pink. I mean, it's teddy bear wearing a hat. I don't know why it's a contentious <laughs> issue. <laughs> anyway, so this episode of the podcast, we're speaking to... Um, Sam Stern. Yes, one of the key food bases of the early noughties. Of Lucy's life. A British teenager. I think Sam Stern um, wrote the first cookbook that I ever had. Yeah, it was very... Um, quite a, a good thing for parents to buy their teenagers... Sam Stern, you will know him if you were a British teenager in the early noughties.
0: Will, do you know him?
1: Sam Stern. The um teenage chef. Oh. Well. Well, that fell flat. Spiky hair, leather jacket, brick wall, strong Gareth Gates vibes, about 13, writing a cookbook. I remember that his books were very much like I have twenty friends round, and I cook them all a massive fry up. This is how I do it. And I was like, "How do you have twenty friends in your kitchen?"
0: I don't have twenty friends. Full stop. I don't have (laughs) twenty
1: friends. (laughs) (laughs) So there was that. Um, But yes, it was very nice. Also, Yorkshire boy. Very important. Oh yes, we talked about how bread smells nice.
0: We talked about playing with dough. Talk about the influence that that he didn't think he would have such an influence on people's lives, and that I guess you don't when you. 14 or 13 launch cookbook. There's that that's really sweet story. Basically, he said he didn't realise how much he would impact people's lives and how much a cookbook could be part of someone's life.
1: That's very true, really. Especially if you like a well thumbed cookbook that you used for like family occasions and things like throughout
0: your childhood. Oh maybe I am moved by the conversation. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Beautiful. Yes. I'm quite ashamed of it. So when I moved back from England after my year in Birmingham, I was quite, I can't say homesick because it wasn't my home, but like Erasmus sick, that's not a thing. Sounds gross. You missed him upstairs, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I bought a book that just came out at the time, which was um, Piper Middleton's <laughs> Peeper Piper Middleton's book? <laughs> <laughs> oh About my god, I remember. 365 days of happiness or something.
1: Was it cold?
0: So, that. That's what it's called. I think so.
2: I
1: think oh. Megan released one called Celebration, maybe. Celebrate a
0: year of British festivities. That's basically it. Is that Megan's or is that no. Pim's? So I've got it in French translated because it sorry, was translated. Samson. Yeah, sorry. Pippa Middleton's hijacked your podcast episode. <laughs> this is how I learned how to make pins and mm. what afternoon tea is Aww. properly like how to make it, like why it's white bread on sandwiches, sometimes so. round bread, but more white bread.
1: The moral of this story is, give a French person Pippa Middleton's cookbook and they'll move to Britain, buy a house and get married! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) On with Sam Stern. What do you know about him? He's doing educational cookery stuff on Instagram at the moment, video projects and such. And he may be having a new book out, but it's in proposal stage. (laughs) Let's listen to the interview. projects have you been working on at the moment?
2: I'm doing quite a lot of um, video stuff uh, for various companies and um, I'm working on some um, Instagram food related educational stuff and also um, book related things.
1: Are you having a new book out soon?
2: So it's very early stages with a proposal basically uh, for a, a new idea um, which is yeah in, in its infancy but um, hopefully at some point And we'll have another book out.
1: That's exciting. And what sort of educational stuff are you doing around food?
2: So it's basically trying to teach people how to be good um, on Instagram with food. Um, So you see a lot of uh, food accounts and it's basically just teaching people how to hone their skills and um, kind of go on the journey that I've gone on with it, where I started off very basically just taking pictures of everything I could uh, and realising that actually there's a, a really easy technique you can use and like all the tips and tricks um, to hone your, your Instagram and your food and your photography and um, basically dealing with the algorithm and bits and pieces like that. So um, yeah, to teach people how to make their food Instagrams uh, work for them.
1: Great, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of demand for that. So it would be interesting to see where that goes. Um, what is your earliest food memory?
2: I remember standing on a chair um, helping my mum make bread, uh, when I was, must have been about, ooh, four or five. Wow, um, that's quite early. Yeah, yeah, so I couldn't, I was nowhere near the countertop, um, so I'd stand on a chair to make it up there, uh, and playing, basically playing with dough, um, so it's not, yeah, it's a pretty good job for a, a kid to have, uh, when you're younger, um, so I think probably that, uh, that's definitely my first. And then the smell of the, the bread coming out of the oven as well, alongside that.
1: Bread has been such a theme of the interviews we've done so far. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so important to yeah. people. It seems to be what people remember the most and the thing that they all keep coming
0: back to. And they're so not, even French, yeah, so... not even French. Yeah, not like Camille. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where would the food that reminds you the most of your childhood?
2: I think probably a roast dinner, always reminds me of family and getting around the table together. And I've got three sisters and a brother. So getting together and all eating at the same time and, um, you know, having a big celebratory meal together on a Sunday. Very much was influential in my love of food and childhood because you get a lot of different tastes because, you know, it's not just one thing uh, and you can customize it to what you want. And it's it's also so easy to do once you once you've done it a couple of times. Um, it's one of the first things I remember uh, learning to cook first for a lot of people, because it doesn't really require much apart from a grasp on timing um, in terms of skill to begin with. So yeah, it's definitely one of my earliest.
1: Um, And obviously you started your career in this industry quite young. Can you remember if there was a defining moment when you decided that you wanted to work in food or did it come quite organically?
2: definitely came quite organically because i have been cooking for so long because my brothers and sisters are all 10 years older than me plus. So when they were out skating, smoking, getting in trouble as teenagers, not that they got in trouble, but uh, I was at home with my mum making sure that food was on the table when they got back. Uh, and they're all quite fussy eaters. You know, we got vegan, vegetarian. My brother didn't like vegetables, so it was very much like all hands on deck, get everybody fed. From from that, you know, being drafted in to help help my mum out, I think my my love and passion came from there. But then the idea for the first book was just you know a cookbook for kids, written by kids, um, and I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. It was just like written down on an A4 piece of paper. My mum worked in the theatre, so she knew an agent. And then the agent took it to Walker Books. who published a lot of children's books. And they were like, yeah, we love it. Can we have a book? And I was like, "Uh, it's it's not written. And then we kind of, I was their first cookbook. So we went on this journey together of me writing my first cookbook and them publishing their first cookbook and kind of working it all out. But yeah, it was a long time ago. So it was uh, 14, wait, yeah, fourteen years ago now.
1: I was just saying to Camille, like she remember having it. I think we're the same age. <laughs> um and I remember having it um at my mum's house. So were your family quite into food then? Was your mum sort of a good cook?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um because everybody had their specific requirements, we needed to adapt and, you know, make sure everybody um had what they wanted. So with that comes trying a lot of new things and of new flavours. Um, and I think that's definitely helpful when you're, when you're cooking because you, you have to experiment and you have to cook different things. You wouldn't necessarily cook for yourself and you learn that way. Um, and she, yeah, she's uh, definitely an amazing cook. My brother's great and my sister's really good as well. And they all have their young families now, so they're all passing it down to their kids too.
1: More big family roast dinners coming up then.
2: Absolutely. I mean, Christmas <laughs> is a nightmare because there's so many people.
1: That's but they love it. what it's about though, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And what would you say that your personal relationship with food is like and has it changed over the course of your life and career?
2: I'd say food is life for me, basically, because it's what I do every day. And I wake up thinking about food and I get to sleep thinking about food. It's it's, it's a bit weird. Uh, (laughs) It's definitely changed. And it also changes you know, day to day or when I'm doing particular jobs. So if I'm writing a book, it's very much job, um, 12-hour days, constantly cooking and writing and thinking about food and there's a degree you know it's making sure that everything's accurate and written down and it's a lot less fluid in the way it's done and it's more scientific to make sure everything is great for the person who's going to cook the recipe whereas if i'm just cooking for myself on an evening very different because it's more go with the flow pash kind of
1: and you might have answered this already but do you have a favorite food smell
2: yeah, I think well, it's either a bacon. A bacon it's yes. not so great. Well, freshly baked bread as well. Mm-hmm. And um by the smell of melted butter with garlic and onions as well.
1: Great choices. And how do you think that food can change the world?
2: I think well there's two well, there's two answers to that. So there's there's the Ethical sort of look at it, where we look at our planet and the way things are going with climate change and everything to do with that, and the way we our eating habits are going. So we can change the world with the way we eat in terms of eating less, you know, intensively farmed meat, um, eating meat less often, you know, buying organic vegetables, getting ethically sourced bits and pieces in terms of our carbon impact. But also, I think food is generally something that brings people together and that people can agree on and it makes everybody happy i I found that if there's any ever if there's any ever disputes you can settle it with really good meal and you can talk it out so i think it just brings people together
1: and just thinking about the environmental impact that you were talking about a second ago are you much more aware of that now in your work is that something that you've got to focus on
2: it's something i've definitely um i'm definitely aware of so i tend to i tend to stay away from the things like non-ethically sourced fish so for instance my last book didn't really feature much of a tuna or cod just because of the way that you know they're over overfished i use the the lesser well-known cuts and the lesser well-known fish because you know they can can taste as good if they're cooked as well, so it's definitely something that I'm aware of, and even on a personal note, that I take care of every day. So, I won't eat as much as I was in terms of uh, you know meat, and particularly from supermarkets compared to 10 years ago because we just weren't aware of you know the impact it was having in the same way.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, with our audience, especially, they're becoming more and more aware of that and of the environmental impact and also the health impact quite a seismic shift.
0: Another thing, young people also are really aware of at the moment is mental health so do you think that working in food you were you have to be especially aware of your mental health and your relationship with food and the way that um all of this is linked yeah how how food can how diet and things can affect you mentally
2: yeah absolutely i mean you know the pressures of things like instagram which you know girls and boys particularly young are so impressionable and the way they look at their bodies and the way they look at food sometimes is not healthy. Um, And I think cooking generally can be classed as something which can soothe and even as as therapy. So I got a letter recently from Australia and this, this lady got into contact with me and said to me that her best friend, her husband had died and they were using my books for comfort and therapy and cooking together in order to get her through that particularly tough time. And I've blown away, like, the fact that you can impact someone just with, you know, this food and the way it can cheer someone up. But then there's that definite negative side to the internet, which is saying that, you know, you you shouldn't... And I think it's just all about an education um, and showing kids in particular what what they should be seeing and what they can stay away from. But then again, every, everything is fine in moderation and I I spoke to some dinner ladies a couple of years ago I was was doing a little presentation and and, uh, a little demonstration for them and what they'd noticed is the way that kids are eating now is very conscious about what they're eating and for me when I was growing up no one really cared about what was on their plate they would just shovel it in because it's fuel and you're growing and you need to eat um, and they, you know you eat as much as you could because you're constantly hungry when you're when you're growing and you're young. Um, and to have people who are thinking about their weight and their bodies at such a young age is absolutely awful. And it's definitely something that we need to do with education to teach people that you know you need this stuff. Don't you know don't just the right things. And cooking is something which enables people to learn these skills because they understand what's going in the, into their food. And if you understand what's going into your food, then you can control it and then you can be calm about it. And you see a lot of um, people on Instagram, I know a couple, um, who get through their difficulties with food and their bodies by cooking and documenting what they're eating. and, And they end up encouraging other people as well to help them get through those tough times.
1: That's great. You've segued really well into our next questions, which were the first one. Do you have a personal comfort food that you turn to in a time of crisis that makes you feel better?
2: I'd say a roast again, because it just reminds me of family and being, you know, being a teenager and having my family around me at home, around the kitchen table. So roast and loads of gravy, I'd say.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Such a like, sort of cosy time and occasion as well um and what would you cook for a friend who is going through a hard time
2: something very comforting even something like as simple as sausage mash with you know an onion gravy you know if you get good quality and sausages and you put loads of butter in the mash and you make a beautiful gravy and it's so simple and it doesn't take you a long time to spend time with them and it's not yeah you don't have to be slaving away in front of the the heart so you can spend time talking to them whilst you're cooking it.
1: Yeah, that's a great one.
0: That is my fave. Looks like gravy is the comfort food of the North. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, it I mean, is. I'm
2: a northern <laughs> boy. So yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and what food would you take with you to a desert
0: island?
2: Oh, do I only get one one thing?
0: Only one, only one.
2: It's difficult because I eat everything. And I know yeah. what you can get sick of really quickly. Some people would say steak, but I tell you, after two, two weeks of eating steak three times a day, well, I've like been three times a day, you don't want it again for a long time. How am I allowed to say a plowman's?
1: Yeah, why not? Got loads <laughs> of
2: things, so...
1: I feel like you're cheating a little bit, but we'll allow it. <laughs>
2: no, thank you
1: very much. <laughs> yeah, plowman's is a great shout. I know we spoke already about you being very young and sort of helping your mum bake bread as your sort of earliest food memory, but what overall is your most powerful food memory?
2: Having steak for the first time when I was on holiday when I was like 11 or something. So I was having the steak and we were in um, somewhere in Spain and there was a thunderstorm coming in over the mountains. I just remember seeing the lightning and hearing the thunder and, and just eating... It's an amazing state. Yeah, that was pretty powerful because the food was amazing and the you know, the surroundings were incredible with all the drama going on. So I think that's
1: Thank you so much for talking to us. Bye. Bye.
2: Cheers. Bye.
1: For more from us, visit at National Student on Twitter, at the National Student on Instagram, or search the National Student on Facebook.
0: You think we've said is national student enough? Because if not, I can just add, you can also find us on thenationalstudent.com.
1: Oh yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Deja Food. This podcast is produced by the National Student and hosted by Lucy Miller and Camille DuPont. Thanks to Alex Sweetman for coming up with our name. Music by Kevin McLeod Quasi Motion. Our logo was designed by your host, Camille.